as we look at our thought for today. Now, I didn't say text because this is not going to be an expository message of a text as we normally give it. Whether there is a theme or a thought here that we need to talk about. I'm going to read verses 22 through 25. And in that, we're going to find the key phrase that we'll be looking at today. Romans 1, beginning with verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The NIV could be a little better here. It actually is more explicit. It's not just a lie, but it's the lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. In previous weeks, we have seen that God has sufficiently revealed himself so that all men everywhere have knowledge of him. This is not a personal saving knowledge, but it nonetheless is an inner awareness of God's existence, which God has made plain through the creation. All men are therefore guilty before God and responsible to him for the light that they have and for their reaction to this universal revelation of God given to us in nature. And we saw last week that man's reaction to this revelation of God through nature is twofold. In the first place, he suppresses this truth about God that is, that he exists, and that he has eternal power, that his nature is divine. They suppress this truth about God so that they might continue on in their sin. For if they acknowledged God and what nature even teaches about God, it would mean that man would have to acknowledge that his ways are wrong and he's accountable to God. Man doesn't want to be accountable to God. And so he suppresses or holds down the truth about God's existence, denying it. And secondly, in reaction to this universal revelation of God, man rejects the knowledge of God and turns away from God. And we saw in verses 21 through 23 last week, the six steps away from God. It begins by men not glorifying him as God, and it ends by men glorifying idols, worshiping idols rather than God. In other words, setting up a false religious system. In the text that we read today, we find two exchanges being made. In verse 22, it says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. The word exchange means to put something in the place of something else. And so man, generally, has chosen to put idols or false religious systems in the place of the worship of the true God. 
And then again in verse 25 it says, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Men have consciously chosen to follow the lie rather than to follow the truth about God. Now it is this concept of the lie that I want us to think about this morning. And I hope that we can make it practical. As a matter of fact, some of the things I say today may make some people angry. That's okay. We're going to talk about the lie that is being sold us in our world today. A lie that many of us have unwittingly and unknowingly accepted to some degree. What is the lie that men have bought instead of worshiping God in truth? As we look at this theme in Scripture, we'll find an answer to that. Would you turn over to John chapter 8, please, and look at some words of the Lord Jesus Christ that play upon this very thought of the lie. And here we're going to find out something about it. By the way, in each of the texts that we'll look at, including the one in Romans, you'll find that when men turn away from the truth, they're always turned to the lie, ultimately. There's no middle ground. It's one or the other. In John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to a lot of people, including the Pharisees, a strict religious sect of his day which opposed him vehemently. They knew who he was, the Christ of God. They knew that he claimed to be the Messiah, but they rejected that knowledge. They rejected the truth and were turned to the lie, and that's essentially what Jesus says. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I am here. <clears throat> I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Notice these words about Satan. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. I think the NIV has done a poor job on that particular clause, too, or that sentence. Better, I should say, when he speaks the lie... He speaks out of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of it, of the lie. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what, I, what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And so these are very strong words of our Lord. <clears throat> to these religious Jews of the Pharisaical sect who rejected him. And he says of them that they are of the devil. He is their father. And he says concerning the devil that he is the father of lies. He is the father of the lie. And it says when he speaks the lie, he speaks out of his own nature. 
that tells us something about the lie. It's rooted in Satan. There's something about Satan, if we learn about him, that will teach us what the lie is that he speaks. To do that, would you go back to Isaiah chapter 14? Now in this chapter, we have a continuation from chapter 13 of a prophecy against Babylon, a prophecy that God gave through Isaiah the prophet. However, most conservative Bible scholars believe that in the midst of chapter 14, there is a section that deals with a subject far deeper than a message to the country of Babylon in that day. In fact, there is a message here which reflects what happened to Satan when he fell from heaven. I want you to notice, we'll begin in verse 13. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High, but you are brought down. And so we have an insight here, gained also, by the way, in Ezekiel chapter 28, regarding what happened in Satan's heart in that time before the creation, apparently, of the world, when he fell from heaven. And his statement essentially is found in verse 14 when he says, I will make myself like the Most High. That is the lie that he believed. That is, that he could become like God and take the place of God. Now with that in mind, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 where we have Satan speaking the lie. And I think that this is the occasion that Jesus had in mind in John 8 when he said, when he speaks the lie, he speaks out of his own nature. Satan, having been cast out of heaven, wound up in the Garden of Eden, embodied in a serpent. And in verse 1 it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I want you to notice where Satan begins. He begins by questioning the word of God. Did God really say? You mark it down that whenever a person or an institution or a movement begins to question the word of God, it is moving in the direction of the lie that we're going to look at here. That is where Satan began, questioning, did God really say that? How do we know what God said? How do we know what God means? That's where he begins. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. She did not accurately record what uh, God had said to her, but that was her response. Then in verse 4, we find Satan speaking the lie. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Is that a lie? 
Yes, it is. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, Satan began by believing the lie that he could become like God, like the Most High, and God kicked him out of heaven. And now here in the garden, he's passing along this same lie to the woman and to Adam. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so it seems to me that what the lie is in Scripture is the idea that man can be independent of the true God and self-sufficient, and that he can make his own decisions as to what is right and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. That is the lie of Satan, that man can be like God. He doesn't need God. He can be independent of God and decide for himself what is right and wrong. Now, there's one other text in the Bible that deals with this same theme of the lie, and I'd like for us to look at that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. These are the four key passages in the Bible regarding the lie. And I think it's important that we understand this theme before we go any further in Romans, particularly here in chapter 1. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have a word from God concerning the man of lawlessness, or who's also called the Antichrist. This is a man that Scripture clearly teaches who will come in the last days, in that period of time which the Bible calls the tribulation, and who will deceive the world. He will be the embodiment again of Satan. Satan will work through him to create a monstrous world religion. And we're going to come into the middle of the text in verse 9 where it says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with all the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth, and so be saved. So the first thing I want to point out is that these people refuse the truth. Verse 11, for this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. This is quite a parallel passage to Romans chapter 1, except that this one is prophetic. Romans 1 is a record, primarily, I think, of the civilization before the flood. It records the degeneration of man in that period of time, the antediluvian age. But it also parallels the record of every civilization of man since then, without exception. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have a prophetic look into the future. This one, the man of lawlessness, will come and will deceive people and cause them to believe the lie. And the lie will be that he is God. 
he would establish worship of himself in the temple in Jerusalem, a temple which is yet to be rebuilt. This is the great abomination of desolations spoken of by Daniel the prophet. It had a near fulfillment in what Antiochus Epiphanes did in the Maccabean Wars before the time of Christ. But that prophecy of Daniel will yet be fulfilled in what Antichrist will do when he establishes worship of himself in the temple in Jerusalem. Antichrist will be the personification of the lie. Here will be Satan's masterpiece. This will be the one he will establish as the man, God, worthy of worship, proving, so he will allege, that mankind does not need the God of heaven, for here is our God, one of us. Now today we are being subtly prepared for the coming of this man of sin. Whether he is alive in the world now is unknown. I don't think we can know that. I suspect it may be true. I believe that he's under wraps somewhere, waiting for the right time to be revealed. In fact, he can't be revealed until the rapture occurs, if I understand my Bible correctly. But it's possible he's alive today, and mankind in general is being prepared for the man of lawlessness to be revealed, this personification of the lie. And how is, it, how is mankind being prepared? Through a false religion that has usurped the place of the Judeo-Christian religion in the Western civilization. And that's the primary base of Antichrist. And what is that false religion? We call it humanism. For humanism basically says that man does not need God. Now, in our outline today, you'll notice that I have uh, three points. The origin of humanism, the tenets of humanism, the religion of humanism. Let me encourage you to stick that in your Bible and bring it back next week because we're just going to get through the introduction today. I had planned to do this in one Sunday, but uh, as it began to develop in the latter part of the week, I saw it would never make it in one Sunday. So today is the introduction, and you come back next week for the main message. But I want to show you next week why I say humanism is a religion. That is not a Christian accusation. That is a, an acknowledgement that humanists themselves gladly make. Before proceeding to our next paragraph here in Romans, dealing with God gave them over three times, I think it's important to show the insidious, pervasive presence of this final step away from God, this false religious system, this idolatry of ours today, the idolatry of man, humanism. We have been brainwashed, folks, by the media, by government educational system, by the liberal theological world, by the one world socialist politicians into thinking that this is normal thinking. But we have been deluded and deceived by humanism. Now that is quite an accusation to make. And so this morning I want to give you a test. This is not a test that's original with me. It's a test that I uh, came across a couple of years ago, which was written by the Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts. 
It's going to be a true or false test, so may I encourage you, if you have a pencil and paper, just to write down a T or an F on a piece of paper as to whether you think these statements are true or false. Now, you don't have to stand up and tell me your answer. You don't have to lift your hand. If you don't have a pencil and paper, just mark it in your mind as to whether you think this statement is true or false. These are statements that relate to our society today. And I think will help you understand what I mean when I say that our society has been deceived by this idolatry called humanism. Statement number one. Children should be taught what their personal rights are. We hear a lot about that these days. Is that true or false? Children should be taught what their personal rights are. When we examine that statement from the context of scriptures, we find that that statement is false. The emphasis in educating a child should not be on his personal rights, but on his God-given responsibilities. Furthermore, the more rights that are given to children, the more authority is taken from parents and given to government to protect those rights. Soon, parents become inferior servants to the protective agencies of the ruling elite. Teach children what their rights are, and you will promote a rebellion. Teach them what their responsibilities are, and you promote revival. Statement number two. It's only right to abort a fetus if it is certain that the child will be severely handicapped. True or false? Well, let me give you the Bible's light on that. To abort a baby because it would have a physical or mental handicap is to put a man in the place of God deciding who should live and who should die. We do not realize the danger behind the laws today, dear people, which permit abortion. These laws now give government the power to decide which human beings are quote, persons, end of quote, and which persons have the right to live. What has begun with abortion will logically continue to euthanasia and points beyond. In the state of Delaware, three years ago, some parents went to a doctor and asked that their child be aborted. They did not want the child. So the doctor chose the injection of a saline solution into the womb to accomplish the abortion. He failed. The baby was born. The little girl is now three years old. The attorney general of that state has just handed down a decision which says that those parents may now sue the doctor for criminal malpractice because he failed to kill that baby. That's the direction we're heading in our society. That's where humanism takes us. Statement number three. We must all work to abolish war and achieve world peace. True or false? When we allow the Bible to throw its light upon that statement, we find that that statement is false. 
For we realize that peace on earth can only come when Christ establishes his kingdom. And there's a universal acknowledgement of his lordship. We have to move more quickly. Statement four. The real solution to our economic problems is a system which will eliminate poverty on one hand and excessive profits on the other. True or false? Again, the scriptures declare that that statement is false. Because, you see, God uses financial distress to accomplish purposes which go far beyond the immediate need for provision. There are times when God withholds or God chooses to supply to accomplish a need. And so the real solution to our economic problems is not that kind of a system that eliminates poverty and reduces excessive profits. I heard an interview on public radio yesterday of a man who is retiring from the University of Minnesota where he's been a professor. He's now going to be a lecturer at Hamlin University. And this man who has been an educator in the government system in our state for a number of years declared that he is working toward an overthrow of the capitalistic system. He said that it is unfair and that his goal is to establish a socialist economic system, not necessarily government-owned, but nonetheless a truly socialist system. He said that the evil, the, the fount of all evil in the world is capitalism. Statement number five, the best form of government is a democracy with freedom of religion. What does the Bible say about that? Again, the Bible says that's false. A democracy is only a good form of government as long as it's based on scriptural principles and as long as a majority of its people are committed to those principles. The idea of total religious freedom is an illusion which has a relatively short duration. Every religion is, by its very nature, intolerant of other religions. God certainly did not establish religious freedom in Israel. He forbade his people to learn about any other religion, and anyone who introduced a new religion was put to death. In reality, religious freedom is a transitional period in which one controlling religion is weakened and a new controlling and intolerant religion takes its place. And that is what is taking place in our society today. Our nation was based upon the Judeo-Christian ethic, and that is being weakened and destroyed so that humanism can take its place. And humanism will be intolerant. Any religion is intolerant by its nature. Statement number six, since we are created equal, husbands and wives should have equal rights. In the light of scripture, that too is a false statement, as it's stated there. For all are equal before God, but all men and women are to be under scriptural authority. I tell you, the present emphasis on equal rights is not only a distortion of God's truth, but it's a subtle attempt to eliminate God-ordained authority. Shall we go on? What about this kind of a statement? Pornography, drugs, and sexual perversion are evil. However, 
We must allow them to exist because we cannot legislate morality. That is false. Why else are there laws except to legislate morality? The very purpose of law is to expose and to punish the wicked. Homosexuality is not mentioned very much in the Bible, is the next statement. And some people are born with homosexual tendencies. The word homosexual is not mentioned much in the Bible because that's not a Bible word. The Bible word is sodomy. The word homosexual tends to be non-judgmental. The word sodomy carries with it the right kind of connotation. And you see, the sin of sodomy is the final stage of moral decay in a society. And we're going to see that next week in the text that we'll look at. Furthermore, it is not true that people are born with homosexual tendencies. Homosexuality is a choice. Let me give you one more, and I could go on. It is not right to have Bible reading in public schools because of the need for separation of church and state. Is that true or false? Well, it's false. And here's the reason. It's right to have Bible reading in a public school because our legal system is based on the Word of God. It is government's responsibility to promote a God-fearing society, according to Romans chapter 13. Those who are the loudest in demanding separation of church and state are deceitfully working toward another goal, the separation of God from government. It is a bit curious, is it not, that the Supreme Court, which opens every session by calling upon God's help, denies to children in the government school classroom the right to even have a voluntary prayer. I hope I've said just enough in these statements this morning to help you see how the media and certain groups within our nation today are pushing humanism. Humanism and biblical Christianity are antithetical. They cannot coexist. One will go, and the other will remain. We have been lied to. We have been deceived. And unfortunately, too many of us are unwilling to challenge the kinds of statements that we've talked about this morning in this test. And yet that's exactly what we, by the grace of God, need to do. The first thing we need to do is to understand what the Bible says about these things, to get a biblical perspective on them. And then we need to courageously stand for the truth. Again and again in the Bible, we are warned about being deceived. Do not be deceived, says the Scriptures. I think it's worth considering, on the part of each one of us, how much humanistic thinking may have already deceived us so that we're willing perhaps to compromise our standards of honesty and truthfulness and excuse it. We'll tell a lie 
and think, well, that's just a little lie. Or we'll cheat or we'll steal and think it not very serious. The amorality, the situation ethics kind of thinking has overcome too many of us. And we need to understand what the righteousness of God is all about. You see, that's what Romans teaches. Its theme is the righteousness of God. And the apostle begins by showing how insidious is idolatry. Men turn from the truth of God to the lie. That's what's happened in our society. And the idolatry that our society is following is the most deceitful kind of idolatry because it does not involve wood and stone. It is the worship, the deification, if you please, of man himself. The line is being clearly drawn for battle. And the question really comes down to this. Are we going to be enlightened and courageous and stand for the truth? Or are we going to compromise, be pushed, deceived ourselves, and turn toward the lie? God help us if we do the latter. These are days when men and women of great character and courage are needed as never before. May God help us to be that kind of people. Let's pray. Lord, your people in the Old Testament were easily deceived. Israel so quickly accepted the gods of the nations around them. Time and again they stumbled over Baal worship when you had revealed the truth to them. It is easy for us to condemn them and to overlook our own sin. When we have a fuller revelation, when the complete truth is ours in Jesus Christ in the Bible, and yet we follow the bale of our age, humanism, I pray that you will reveal to us when we ourselves have been deceived. Help us to see the right and the truth as you see it from the perspective of your word, and then to courageously take a stand as we ought, on our campuses, in the newspapers, even in public demonstrations if that becomes necessary. And Father, wherein we have personally compromised ourselves and the truth by giving in to excuses for what we call little sins, forgive us and teach us of your righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.